KPBS On Demand is supported by Arizona Raft Adventures, a third-generation family-owned outfitter providing experiential multi-day Colorado River rafting adventures through the Grand Canyon, hiking, exploration, education, and fun. Only a seven-hour drive from San Diego. Learn more at azraft.com. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Wednesday, July 7th, focusing homeless outreach in downtown. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. The Coronado Unified School Board has voted unanimously to appeal sanctions against the Coronado High School basketball team by the California Interscholastic Federation. That's according to the San Diego Union-Tribune. Last month, fans threw tortillas at Orange Glen, a largely Latino team, after they lost the game against Coronado High. CIF later vacated Coronado High's championship title over the incident. UC San Diego, UCLA, and UC Berkeley are going to have to cut their out-of-state admissions by roughly 4%, making room for 4,500 California applicants. That's per the recently approved state budget. Gaurav Kanna is an assistant professor of economics at UC San Diego who is opposed to the new UC admissions order. More revenue from out-of-state students actually helps keep tuition levels low for in-state students, and so you get more in-state students actually coming to these universities. The state will pay $184 million to cover the higher tuition money that would have come from out-of-state students. San Diego County mountains and deserts are going to get really hot this weekend, according to the National Weather Service. A coming heat wave is expected to put temperatures upwards of 119 in the deserts on Saturday and Sunday. For today, temperatures are in the low 90s to low 100s in the mountains and 90s to 100s in the desert. The county has nine cool zone or air-conditioned locations open to the public. More information on cool zones can be found on the county's website. From KPBS you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. A national homelessness expert says San Diego needs to coordinate efforts among agencies and find more permanent housing solutions if it wants to see fewer unsheltered people on the streets. Those were two of 16 recommendations made after a six-month assessment by consultant Matthew Doherty. The report comes as San Diego's unsheltered population is once again increasing. Mayor Todd Gloria says some of the consultant's recommendations are already being implemented or are included in the new city budget. Matthew Doherty is the former executive director of the U.S. Interagency Council on Homelessness, and he's the author of the new report on San Diego homelessness strategies. He spoke with KPBS Midday Edition host Maureen Kavanaugh about the report. Here's that interview. Mayor Gloria says he wanted a warts and all assessment from you on the city's approach to homelessness. So what are the warts? So I think the main thing the city needs to focus on is making sure it has enough in-house capacity and expertise 
to be able to help drive solutions to homelessness across the city. City needs to be able to do that work in partnership with the County of San Diego, with the San Diego Housing Commission, with the Regional Task Force on the Homeless. Uh, but historically, the city has not dedicated the staff resources with the level of experience and expertise needed to be not only just an equal partner, but a really a leading partner in driving progress on that work. So that's the, the fundamental finding was the need to scale up expertise and capacity within the city, which will then allow the city to help build strategies and programs that can drive progress on homelessness. You found that the city has relied too much on crisis management in its handling of homelessness. Can you explain what that means? What I really wanted to encourage was for the city to focus on balancing the immediate response to homelessness, which can be done through outreach, can be done through emergency shelter and other crisis services, to better balance that with a focus on helping people exit homelessness and get people connected to permanent housing solutions. Now, right now, a new homeless outreach effort in downtown San Diego is relying less on police and more on social workers and healthcare workers to make contact with unsheltered people. Is that part of your recommendation? That was one of my recommendations and worked with the partners to help think through the approach that was uh, launched last week. And do think that as, we, as we're trying to connect with people who are experiencing the crisis of homelessness, we need to lead with people who are skilled and trained and whose fundamental role is to engage with people, get to know them, help identify their challenges, help identify their goals, and help create pathways for people to pursue in order to get off the streets and into into housing that they can sustain. But there's apparently concern among some homeless people themselves that there's an increase in violence and drug use on the streets because of a decreased law enforcement presence. Now, does that concern you? Absolutely. And public safety needs to be a fundamental priority in all of this work. And for law enforcement, public safety and ensuring the safety of people who are experiencing homelessness and addressing the safety of people who are working with people experiencing homelessness should be the fundamental role of law enforcement within the system is to focus on public safety while leaving the work of helping people exit homelessness and address their challenges, letting other professionals focus on that work. But public safety needs to be paramount and is a paramount concern for people who are experiencing homelessness themselves. One not surprising part of the report finds that we need more low-income housing available to decrease the homeless population. Any suggestions on how we make that happen? Well, I think one of the fortunate circumstances we're in right now is that there are a lot of new federal resources. And as soon as there's a state budget, an expectation that there'll be a lot of new state resources that can help create those opportunities. So the American Rescue Plan passed earlier this year provided resources that can be used to create permanent housing opportunities for people. Uh, The California budget will include a significant scaling up of resources into homelessness and housing programs. So right now, if the with a clarity of focus and vision and an emphasis on creating permanent housing options for people, right now is a good time because there are going to be resources that are available to make that happen. A lot of this report has to do with creating new city positions to coordinate homeless efforts. And some might see this as just creating new bureaucracy. How do you see a new department with new directors actually helping to make change on the city's streets? So and I completely understand that concern. I do think there's maybe a parallel with uh, you can't put a baseball team on the field and have five players and expect to be able to deliver what you want a baseball team to deliver. And I understand the Padres are doing pretty well this year. So really the goal here is to get the, the city up to a baseline of having an adequate team in place that can tackle the challenge that the community is facing. And what does that adequate team consist of? 
So my recommendations included um, adding three additional positions within the city department and converting an existing position into a new director of the department position. I do want to caution that that position is not is not thought of as a homelessness czar. It is a director of a strong team of professionals focused on ending homelessness. Also recommended the creation of a deputy director position with a special focus on interdepartmental partnerships and some of the external partnerships the city needs to develop and manage. Um, another position explicitly focused on unsheltered homelessness and coordinating across all of the different agencies and actors who intersect with people who are experiencing unsheltered homelessness and a position overseeing the two existing teams within the department with the real goal of having enough senior staff who can be decision makers, who can represent the city in a wide variety of planning conversations, decision-making conversations, and make things happen. And you need enough people on the team in order to make those kinds of things happen and to actually start to have an impact on homelessness. How would you like to see San Diego's different city and county homeless agencies coordinate to become more effective? So this, I think, is another area in which there's just a great opportunity for the community. The San Diego Housing Commission has a, a team of staff with expertise and capacity. The Regional Task Force on the Homeless has been stood up in the last couple of years to play more meaningful roles across the region. The County of San Diego is, is creating its own office focused on homelessness and equitable communities. And this is the opportunity for the city to put forward its own team to, to partner across those other agencies. And together, I think that's just a great opportunity to have all of the right partners in place and to start to work together in a more coordinated, collaborative way and to move towards joint and shared decision-making so that each entity isn't making decisions in isolation, but actually are, are working together to get to the best decisions. During your time on the U.S. Interagency Council on Homelessness, have you seen other cities use the kinds of strategies that you've recommended to actually reduce homelessness? Yes. Um, and I think looking at the city, the city had one of the smallest teams focused on homelessness that I was familiar with, with and looking at other communities across the country. Other recommendations include a much stronger focus on data and using data to drive everyday decision making. So spelled out the kind of data that the mayor and his team should be focused on, on a continuous and ongoing basis. And the fundamental focus on everything we're doing should be leading people out of homelessness into permanent housing. And that shift to a true housing first focus is what has helped drive progress in other communities. That was Matthew Doherty, former executive director of the U.S. Interagency Council on Homelessness. He was speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Maureen Kavanaugh. And in the meantime, in San Diego, a month-long program is going on to get unsheltered residents in downtown into housing. KPBS health reporter Matt Hoffman has more on that. Housing officials are just over a week into their downtown push to connect homeless residents to shelters and housing. Basically get anybody off the street into housing, whichever way that makes the most sense to do that. Brian Gruders with PATH says efforts are being focused on three areas, the city center, East Village, and the Gaslamp District. A mobile command center has staff connecting people to resources like Medicaid or food stamps. And with shelters expanding operations now that coronavirus restrictions are being relaxed, those who want shelter can get it right there. If it's a quick fix, like someone wants to go to shelter, they can do that today. It's pretty simple to do that. But a lot of people don't want that for a lot of different reasons. And so we want to follow up with those folks. During this month-long outreach, city officials are also trying to identify space for a shelter that can take in those with severe substance abuse disorders. And that was KPBS health reporter Matt Hoffman.
The San Ysidro Transit Center has been inadequate for years. Now, something might be done about it. iNewsource reporter Jennifer Bowman has more. The southernmost trolley stop in San Ysidro is also one of San Diego's most popular. Our next and last station is San Ysidro. La siguiente y última estación. It serves as the city's front porch to one of the world's busiest border crossings. But Lisa Cuestas of local nonprofit Casa Familiar says the station is in bad shape. When you go there, all you feel is a hot mess. Cuestas and others have urged transit leaders to act, but they haven't gotten far. They've been getting away with substandard infrastructure and station making a lot of money for them. Now, transit officials might have an answer. San Ysidro would get what's being called a mobility hub. Here's Colleen Clemenson of the San Diego Association of Governments, which handles regional planning. So these are the denser areas where multiple transportation options come together. That's already happening in San Ysidro, so we can capitalize on that. The new hub has the same problem that officials have faced before. The $200 million project needs funding. That was iNewsource reporter Jennifer Bowman. For more on this story, go to iNewsource.org. iNewsource is an independently funded nonprofit partner of KPBS. The Senior Center in Carlsbad is reopening after being closed due to the pandemic. KPBS North County reporter Tanya Thorne was at the ribbon-cutting ceremony. The Carlsbad Senior Center was closed to visitors during the pandemic. But inside, volunteers were still busy, making meals for the seniors that once attended the center on a daily basis. Over the course of the pandemic, the Carlsbad Senior Center made and distributed over 60,000 to-go meals. But today, preparations are underway for their first in-person luncheon. In-person bingo, classes and lunches are back on at the Carlsbad Senior Center. The Senior Center is very special to everyone in this community. It gives, has many programs for everyone. Patricia Meehan, the center's senior commissioner, has been going to the Senior Center since it opened. She had the honor of cutting the ribbon for the center's official reopening following the pandemic. We're open! I think the social part, seeing people, I think that's very important for older people, especially, to be able to uh, communicate with others. Meehan's husband, Sherman DeForest, teaches a tech class offered at the senior center. People have apples, they have laptops, they have whatever. and. They come to us because their grandchildren can't always show them how to do things. City and senior center staff were present at the ceremony commemorating staff and volunteers for their work during the pandemic. Once we had to shut this center down, the volunteers that stepped up under the leadership of Kyle Lancaster ended up pulling together and delivering a whopping 61,000 meals during the COVID crisis. A project that will still continue after the center's reopening. Virtual classes will also be kept as part of the center's programs, giving seniors hybrid options. And that was KPBS North County reporter Tanya Thorne. Coming up, KPBS arts reporter Beth Accomando assembles Team Romeo to fight zombies. Oh, zombies in the back. Up in the top. Oh, behind you. We'll check out the virtual reality gaming available at Sandbox VR in Mission Valley. That's next, just after the break.
KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. Sandbox VR opened shortly before the pandemic hit and just recently reopened. Located in Mission Valley Shopping Center, the virtual reality or VR gaming facility allows groups of up to six players to fight zombies, alien bugs, or each other. KPBS arts reporter Beth Accomando went with some friends to go check it out. Not all businesses love to hear their clients screaming. Uh, so the screaming is basically your customers, you know, enjoying themselves to their fullest. Welcome to Sandbox VR. So Sandbox is a fully immersive virtual reality experience. We offer five different experiences, Amber Sky, Deadwood, Cursed Davy Jones, Star Trek, and also our fight one, which is UFL. Our group opted for Deadwood Mansion. We dubbed ourselves Team Romero and geared up to battle zombies with the help of Sandbox manager, Jordan Ewing. This is room one. Each one of these rooms look exactly like this, maybe in somewhat of a different configuration. We do have the backpacks over here, and the backpacks is what powers the experiences. And then we have trackers. We have four trackers, two for your legs, and for your arms and then we also have the haptic vest the haptic vest is what's going to allow you to feel that in-game damage so if your friend is shooting you or if a villain is shooting you or a zombie is like hitting you and in your face that's what you're going to feel go ahead and put on your oculus and headphones guys it was a vr game uh, it was a horror experience where we got to shoot zombies and uh, rats lots of rats <laughs> i screamed a lot my throat even hurt yes. Blanco Osario killed more rats than zombies. So I was uh, the exterminator of the group because rats freaked me out and I, they were coming towards me and I was just like, no! Jose Atoriaga was also on Team Romero. It's crazy how you actually get into the horror feel and you actually get like freaked out about things that are coming at you. Viviana Grandal is an experienced gamer, but usually plays at home on a computer with a keyboard and mouse. This was my first like fully immersive VR experience where I got to play with other players and see other players. And that part was so much better than just an alone experience with VR. Just being aware of your surroundings and your teammates and being able to heal each other, that was hilarious. Yeah, we died a lot. I'm dead! But a touch on the shoulder can revive a player. Touch my shoulder! Touch my shoulder! Yeah. This was Gavin Bowles' first experience with virtual reality gaming. It was intense. It was very uh, immersive, very realistic, and uh, made my heart pound. <laughs> As a concept artist, Aturiega appreciated the game's design. The, the environment's so well done that you feel like you're in it. Totally immersive, the sounds, the feel. You get um, equipped with a haptic responsive vest, so when something's touching you or attacking you, you're feeling it, so it is completely immersive. <laughs> it's cool because you get, you know, a 360 view, so it's like you're really in that place. Oh, zombies in the back, upstairs. <laughs> I like the fact that the zombies came out from different places. You have to be like up at the top, oh behind you, you know, on your feet the whole time, like looking out from the sky. All the entrances and the stairs. Upstairs. Stairs, stairs, stairs. It's fun. Behind you, behind you, front door, front door. They give you guns, so you get to shoot at stuff. Main entrance, main entrance. 
I had two handguns and I figured uh, I could have a little bit more blast radius if I had two hands to shoot with than just one. <laughs> it did start very slow, but once it gets going and they explain everything to you and you get everything all geared up, it's very fast paced. <laughs> it starts off pretty like a pretty manageable level and it quickly picks up pace. Uh, you start getting more enemies, different mechanics, so you kind of have to figure out what's going on around you and be aware of everything around you. So it, it goes by pretty quickly, it escalates quickly. I think my, my favorite part would probably be watching the video afterwards. That video was so funny because you're equipped with all of your gear and you're seeing things so you think you look pretty badass and then you watch yourself and you're just kind of flailing. Jose Aturiaga, aka Bats, was the team's MVP. Yes, I was pleasantly surprised about that because I did die a few times, but uh, yeah, I guess that shotgun proved handy. <laughs> so kudos to Team Romero for fighting off most of the zombies. For KPBS News, this is Bub the Untouchable. I mean, Beth Accomando. That was KPBS arts reporter Beth Accomando. Sandbox VR requires masks for non-vaccinated guests and sanitizes all gear between gaming sessions. And that's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio or check out the Midday Edition podcast. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu.